I remember seeing one of those hard disk drives with removable disk packs. It was literally the size of a uh, of a washing machine, like a U.S. size washing machine, to be clear. Yeah, uh, not even a European size washing machine. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. This week's episode of The Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. You also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if you run your business from home. Now, I've checked out Earth Class Mail, and I think it's a brilliant solution that's perfect for businesses and independent entrepreneurs of all types. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 215 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. Philip Morgan. Howdy. Good learner. Hi, everyone. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about working remotely. We actually had a request for this from one of our listeners. His name's Luca. And uh, I'm just going to read through this and then we can pick it apart. He says, uh, basically, he wanted an episode on purely remote consulting where you perhaps never meet the customer face-to-face. And then he was looking for communication technologies for meetings chat and video conferencing, project management, day-to-day communication, and software tools that you can expect customers to be familiar with and or have installed, and then communication techniques on how to manage your client's expectations and discussion style, how to lead discussions, how to share impromptu drawings and sketches, how to make up for lack of nonverbal communication, common miscommunication pitfalls to spot or avoid in the first place, and how to deal with time zone differences. And then he's got a bunch more questions here that he put under fundamentals. So what about if you're sell- what you're selling is not a tangible product like software, but uh, plain or plain communication like strategy consulting? How does that work? How do you do it? How do customers react if you suggest purely remote consulting? And can I, as a random consultant, really expect it to be sustainable? Or does it merely work for a lucky few consultants who are just so good or well-known that customers will accept this as a term of working together? So lots to talk about. I think we should probably just start at the top because I think the communication technologies, we can list a few, and I think those are probably the least interesting parts of this. I think mostly it's the way that we deal with our clients that's going to be the real kicker for this. So I'm curious, what technologies do you use to communicate with remote clients? Skype. Lots of Skype. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Skype. I also use Slack if I can. But Yeah, I use Slack extensively. Yeah, I use Skype, and uh, there's situations where, like, I guess I should say a lot of my clients are, like, mentoring students, and it's a group situation, so I'll use Google Hangouts because it's so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. And I've recently 
started to become somewhat enthusiastic about Zoom because it's got a nice price point and it seems like they've figured out a lot of the sort of simpler, lower hanging fruit stuff about how to actually make a video call perform well, a variety of different bandwidth situations and so forth. And it lets, if someone can't make a data connection, they can dial in with a plain old telephone connection, which is nice. Yeah, the other thing that I like about Zoom in particular is that if you are sharing your screen, then you have a whole bunch of other tools that you can use. So you can draw pictures on your screen, you can, you know, circle different parts of your screen share and things like that. So it has some nice tooling that goes with that. It's not where everybody can draw on the screen, but, you know, at least the presenter generally can. It tends to work really well. It's kind of my backup for everything else. So, for example, uh, yesterday I got on a call with Dave Thomas from Pragmatic Programmers because he's speaking at a conference this week for me, Newbie Remote Comp. And, yeah, we just couldn't get Crowdcast to work for whatever reason. So we hopped on Zoom, and I'm like, okay, well, at least we have an alternative. But, yeah, it pretty much always works for me. <laughs> so, You know, you bring up an interesting point. I think it is good if you're going to go all in on remote consulting, which I have, it's good to have a backup for pretty much anything that could fail. I mean, of course, you can reschedule it. Stuff really um, goes haywire, but I, I just like to have a backup. So if you're on Skype, you know, having some secondary way to kind of fail back if Skype is not working is a good idea. I can tell you on that front that um, so the Chinese uh, chat program on your phone, WeChat, I've found on many occasions when my Skype connection goes down, it's more stable on the same network. And it does voice and video chats as well. You don't need to know Chinese to use it, but it's definitely worth looking into if you want to back up that's, you know, works on your phone. That's pretty darn reliable, I found. Yeah, one other thing that I'll just jump in with here as far as meetings and communication is that if I have just one person that I'm dealing with with the client, or maybe two, a lot of times I'll just push all of that into Skype. All of the calls, the meetings, the chatting, everything, I'll just do it all in Skype. If I'm dealing with a team of people, or if there are a lot of people that tend to need to know, at least know what's going on, and you know, want to provide input and things like that. Then I move into these other options where it's the Zoom or Slack or things like that. But yeah, just one-on-one or one-on-two, I generally just go with Skype for the entire thing. I think there's an interesting, I don't know if we're making this distinction on purpose or by accident, but I've categorized all of my communication platforms into real-time and not real-time. Yeah. So I've got like text apps or platforms or whatever you want to say that I, you know, the non-real-time ones would include things like Slack or Basecamp, but the real-time ones also would include Slack, but not Basecamp. Uh, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask if Slack is in the real-time or not real-time. Yeah, it's it's both. It's also in audio, and it's it's not in video yet. But uh, Slack is really, uh, it's mainly text, although they do recently, they did recently add audio, but it's mainly text. And, you know, obviously it's it's good. People can check into it. Uh, They're probably using it already. But to Philip's point, having a backup, I probably have three of each of these categories. So real-time, not real-time for text, real-time, not real-time for audio. And sometimes we'll, we'll switch in the middle of a call because one of them is just stinking. And video, also real-time, not real-time. So like Crowdcast would be kind of both. You could do real-time, not real-time. Google Hangouts, Google uh, Hangouts on the Air, or whatever that's called. Whether or not you need to share your screen is a factor. You can do that with... Skype, you can also do it with Join Me is another one I use all the time. Or also uh, screen shares or video, not real time. Uh, screen flow is a great recording tool, recording and editing tool, very easy to use. Uh, I don't know if we were going to talk about non-real-time stuff later, but I probably have 
30 apps that fall into one of these one or more of these categories that I use more or less regularly. We also haven't brought up email, which I think we just kind of take for granted. No, actually, I was going to say, I specifically do not use email for client conversations. Wow. It's too much of a mess. I, I actually like, I think we've discussed this before, and I think basically what you said was that if it's not in Basecamp or something, it didn't happen. And I, I really like having that one canonical place that's not the place for all of the other conversations with I, with, that I have with everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. It, it turns your inbox, it forces you to check your inbox constantly, which is a disaster for your productivity. Do you guys find that the um, quality of these real-time conversation systems or communication systems, the quality has anything to do with whether you're paying for it or not? Because I definitely, I mean, I'm paying for Skype. Like I, I pay for it to add a number in and then calls out. And I don't feel like that I have a much better experience than my friends who have the free plan. I see no correlation except for this one weird edge case where I was on the Skype thing. The pricing in the U.S. is, I think, $2.99 a month, and you can call any uh, phone number in the U.S. and Canada or North America, right? And I upgraded to get a number where people could reach me inbound via Skype because my cell phone signal's not the greatest where I live. And <laughs> the call quality got, like, way worse. Uh, noticeably dramatically worse so in this case there was an inverse relationship but that's an edge case i really see no correlation it's like uh there's amazing free stuff and there's paid stuff that's mediocre you know looking at you go to webinar and, and some of those conferencing solutions that's <laughs> su super expensive and you are being so nice to them <laughs> not mediocre. <that> <laughs> <laughs> mediocre anyway yeah i don't see any relationship i guess they're mediocre because they work kind of yeah, I hate go to meeting, go to webinar. I found that they're just way too complicated, and the quality just isn't there. I get way better experience out of even Google Hangouts, which is free. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the table stakes is that it works. Yeah. Now it's it's all about like making it easy and sort of fluid to use. Yeah, but I find that yeah, generally it sounds like all of our experience more or less lines up there. I, I guess I'll be the guy who is like kind of on the other side of the table from people who are really dogmatic about one tool. Because I feel like the question here, the larger question is like working with people when you're not physically there with them all the time or maybe ever. And I feel like being too dogmatic about tool choice, which is something I personally was way into like five years ago. I was like super dogmatic. I was like, we're going to find the best tool. And we're going to champion that tool. We're going to persuade our clients to love that tool, whether they, you know, can even use it or not. <laughs> you know, it was just, I felt like that was a very wrong-headed approach, and it got in the way of effective collaboration at a distance, which I, I feel like is what this larger discussion is all about. Like, how can you make that collaboration really effective? So I will say that there's so many choices, I feel like there's no need to be dogmatic about it. Oh, I'm dogmatic about it. Whatever oh, makes me work the least, I'm dogmatic <laughs> about that. Really? Right. But I know, but if your client was like, we really can only use this because our IT department has approved it, yeah. what, have, what What do you do in that case? Depends on how much work it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really? Sure, yeah, of course it depends. So, I mean, if it's, if it's just not worth the effort to figure it out, then I'll just tell them, I'm like, this is a pain in the butt, and I'm going to, you know, there's a pain in the butt premium to use it. Hmm. But what about the rest of you guys? What do you do in that situation? When the customer, I can't think of a time this has really happened. I recall that it has happened to me because I remember being, oh, I remember one person who wanted to use HipChat with me, which is terrible on mobile, which is where I 
mostly live, so I had a little bit of a hissy fit about that. But in general, I kind of like it when the customer imposes the platform on me because then if it stinks, it's not my problem. That's you know. And the other thing is I don't charge by the hour, so I don't care if it it's like debug you know, I don't know, it's like I don't have to worry about it. You know, if they want me to use their conference line instead of Skype, fine. If they don't want to do a video call for a big project kickoff, fine. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of a time where somebody's actually picked a tool that I was just well, I can, but there were a bunch of other contractors working the same contract. We were delivering code and it was an hourly thing. And so it was like, okay, this is a pain in the butt. It's costing you more because it's taking me more time to deal with it. I'm trying to remember, like, trying to think. Most of my clients, like, with whom I do development, are kind of, you know, small startups. And so they're using the same sort of technologies as I am. Recently, a few of them have said, oh, we'll just put you on our Slack channel. I'm thinking, wow, that's great. Like, they're really with it. And my, my big clients are basically where I'm doing training. So, like, how much technology do I really need to use to interact with them? I, I go there, I plug into their projector. Um, the only exception is perhaps that when I do teaching for Cisco, because they, uh, online teaching for them, because they own WebEx, so they require that I use WebEx for online teaching. But you know what? I've actually grown fond of it. Like, I don't think it's like just Stockholm Syndrome or something. I think it's actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's definitely Stockholm Syndrome. No, I haven't used <laughs> I, WebEx for years, so I don't know. No, it's like if you sort of know what you're doing and are willing to learn. I mean, there's still tons and tons of features there. I have no idea what they do. But not a small number of them actually work pretty well. So how do you use these tools then getting into the communication? Because we've kind of gone off this way a little bit. You know, how do you set client expectations and discussions? I'll give you an example if you like. I did some work for a client and uh, I was building them kind of an internal social network kind of thing. And I would leave my Slack signed in because, you know, I just walk away from my computer when I'm not working. And they got ticked off because I wasn't there at 10 o'clock in the evening when they tried to Slack me. Or, you know, other times, you know, they expect me to pick up my phone, but it's it's after when I generally work. And so I just don't answer it. So so how do you set those expectations? I mean, I figured out that I need to do some of that up front, but on an ongoing basis, are there other expectations you have to set? So let, 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 let me step back for a moment from that question, even, and just make it clear, even though it's probably really obvious to everyone listening, communication is probably the most important thing you're going to have with your clients in general. And if it's remote, then you're going to have to work like extra hard to make them know that you are there and know that you're working on things. Like it just won't cut it for you to sort of disappear for two weeks and come back and say, look, what an amazing feature. Unless they know that you're going to be gone for two weeks, right? If they, if that's agreed with them, that's fine. So. Using these tools is necessary so that they will have what's what's known in the biz is like, you know, in the like the online education biz at least, like presence, a sense of presence. Are you around? Are you doing something? And if so, what are you doing for them? So that they're not surprised. And so like I found that using a lot of these tools, whether there's a task tracker, whether it's chat, whether it's setting up meetings, whether it's base camp or something, it's just to let them know I have not forgotten you, I'm still working on your thing, and I care. I have a similar sort of similar take on it, which is definitely agree that communication is hugely important and even more important when it's remote. And when I've got projects going, I try pretty hard to touch the project. I try to touch the client at least once a day. Since I'm not getting paid by the hour, it's not like they (laughs) they care if the clock is ticking or not ticking. But it's like you said, they just want to know that it didn't fall off the map. They want like a sort of a heartbeat coming from the other side of the internet that, you know, somebody's still on it so they can chill. And they're not really worried about, for me, they're not really worried about, you know, did he 
climb into a hole and he's going to bill me like 120 hours this week, you know, like that I wasn't expecting? Or is it more like, it's really for me, it's like to put their mind at ease, to decrease their risk. It's like, you know, Stark's got it. We don't have to worry about it. He's on top of it. We're good. So how often do you check in? then? Well, usually do like, uh, it depends on the gig and it depends on how crazy the gig is. Like when it's coming up to delivery, it gets pretty, can turn into a real flurry of real-time chat. Uh, conference calls that we'll just jump in and out of repeatedly throughout the day. But that's usually just at crunch time. So usually there's a kickoff where people need to get a little bit of extra handholding at the beginning so they, they don't have buyer's remorse, they trust you. Again, with me, it's weird because I get paid in advance. So they write the check, it disappears into the air, and then they don't want me to disappear. They want me to like immediately be attentive. So, so usually a little bit more handholding at the beginning. Uh, and then they'll go through dry spells when, you know, half their team goes on vacation or or there's some blocker from a third party or whatever. And it's quiet for a week or even two weeks. But usually I try to check in on a daily basis, maybe at the most, let two days go by. But it, it really depends on the stage of the project. And is that an email or is that also through Basecamp or whatever? Never an email. Never, ever. Always Basecamp. Or something more real time. So if it's something that, you know, I'm working with this one client right now and they're, they're new to Basecamp. They're new to Slack. They, they prefer like old school telephone landline conference calls, like those Qualcomm triangles that sit on the table. You know, so it's, I, I mean, I'm the most active person in Basecamp and I'm not even in there that much, but that's where I do it. So, you know, I don't know if they're looking at it or not, but I presume they are. Uh, and then we have a weekly phone call and I catch them up on what's going on and. Yeah, I just worry that mine would be a whole bunch of nothing to report, nothing to report, still waiting to hear back. Yeah, I mean, if there, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, there's usually something <laughs> going on. I wouldn't keep on saying. But one thing I will do is um, I'm not afraid to, because I'm coming in from the outside as a consultant, but I'm not doing any dev work. So I'm not afraid to not throw somebody under the bus, but be like, okay, I, you know, I posted this message for you. You know, I'll post a message for somebody. And they won't get back to me for four days, which is really no skin off my nose. But the team, the upper management might be a little ticked off by the time the next meeting rolls around if nothing has moved forward. So I'll say something like, and I'm not really a project manager, but I will do something like, you know, try and ping the person on some other channel or I'll ping the boss or I'll like a, you know, a comment all in Basecamp and be like, can everyone reply to this so that I know that you're getting the notifications? You know, something like that. Like if it's just totally dead. And I'm not 100% sure that people are even getting the message. If I see no activity, then that makes me a little nervous. So I'll try and stir up some. I, you know, I think there's there's two aspects to this. One is there's like a flow of information aspect. And there's also the fact that I think most of us want our clients to feel good about having hired us. And so there's like kind of maintaining an emotional connection. So I think there are times when you would want to communicate, even if there's nothing to report, or even if, you know, it's like all status quo. I think there's reasons to communicate just to kind of maintain the the way people feel about a project that's that's in progress. And uh I think that's where I in the past have fallen down a lot and and I think a lot of people can do better is just kind of remembering that you want to keep the emotional temperature of the project positive. Not that you want to, you know, paper over something that's going wrong, but that that's a big part of why people spend larger and larger amounts of money is because of how they feel about things. Yeah, I mean, I, I just spoke yesterday to a new potential client for development work. And, you know, this woman calls me um, and says, well, we're working with this company and they've been doing some software development. And 
maybe we'll continue with them, and maybe not. But we've just lost all trust in their ability to work on in the way we want. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> like, clearly they're going to leave this company, because why, if she says out loud to someone she just met on the phone, I don't trust them. Yeah. Right? Like, it's got to be bad. And then she starts telling me, oh, we spent this crazy amount of money for doing this little amount of development, and on, on, and on. So you don't want it to get to that point where your clients are bad-mouthing you to other people, saying, oh, my God, I can't trust them anymore. Like, that that's a bad situation to be in. I mean, it's good for me, uh, but, but it's bad for them. And so, I mean, I found that having just a weekly phone meeting, even if it's 10 minutes, five minutes, and, and they can find out what's going on development-wise, but I found almost as important, perhaps even more important, is to tell them uh, or to ask them, what's new with the business? Like, where are things going now? And I find that not only does it help me to sort of look ahead and say, oh, they're probably going to need X and Y and Z because the business is going that direction, but it makes them feel like, wow, he actually cares about a business and not just churning out code and getting this done. So I have to ask then, because I, I ran into this problem with a couple of clients where I basically said, I would like to have a call every week so that we can go over what I've got going on and what you've got going on. And I get kind of a lukewarm response. And that was kind of the best. <laughs> out of I mean, some of them, they were just like, well, you're in Slack and we're in Slack, so we'll just Slack. How do you get them to the point where it's like, look, you know, I want the face to face over Skype or the, you know, the voice to voice over, you know, some other system so that we can actually talk. I mean, my experience is just people, <laughs> my clients at least realize that it's a whole different kind of communication. It's more effective. It's more instantaneous. It, you get like, a fuller emotional sense of what's going on. You can exchange things faster. I mean, Slack is great. Skype is great. Well, you know, Skype, I mean, I am on Skype. I don't, Jonathan, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. As I have gotten older, and for the record, I'll be 42 this August. Uh, the number, the number of times when I'll, I'll get like a long written communique of some sort and then start in, like hit the reply button or start to craft a reply and then get about two words into it and go, you know what? And I'll just erase what I wrote and be like, hey, would you be, would you like to get on a call and discuss this? The number of times that has happened has gone up dramatically. And I don't know if it's just getting older. I used to hate when people did that to me because I would just be like, look, I'm busy. I want this to be asynchronous communication. And now more and more I'm defaulting to some form of synchronous communication because I feel like it's more effective. I'm going to guess it's less to do with age and more to do with the nature of the work. Well, I needed to ask an older man his opinion on this. Is this just an <laughs> thing or, or what? No, it's, I am a fan of using the right communication medium for the job. So whenever we have like a situation, the, the phone is great in a project context. The phone is great when you have like a really fuzzy brainstorm that needs to happen, with a, especially with a couple of, if it's more than two people, because that just doesn't work in Slack. Yeah, and I think when you say phone, you just mean real time voice. So whatever real time voice, the yeah. underlying tech is doesn't matter. Real time voice, yeah. It could be screen here, it could be inside of Slack, whatever. But you can take a massive thread of five people talking over each other in a text format and get the whole thing wrestled to the ground in ten minutes. On yeah, a conference call. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I mean, I guess it's not weird. It's just it's like different different things are suited to different media. And the thing that I hate about the phone is that you have to take tons of notes if you want to capture anything. And then you're the only one that has them. 
<laughs> so then you need to put them into, you know, then it's like, okay, if, like if a decision was made on the phone call, that drives me crazy. Yeah, you, you become the secretary, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I try to capture that. It depends on the relationship. Sometimes I'll be like, is somebody capturing this? Is If I feel like it's definitely not my responsibility. But I try to stay away from that. It's more like, let's just hash through this confusion that we, like we just got into a snarl in uh, some text thread. Let's just click the phone button that's staring at us and clarify what it is we're talking about. It's usually when there's a disconnect, like people are talking to ask each other, using a, the same word for different things. Right. Yeah, I think the reason I had that feeling like it might be associated with aging is because, you know, when I was in my 20s, the people in like their 40s and 50s who would always be like trying to get me on the phone instead of email, I just figured, oh, they didn't grow up with email. So it's like they're, they're technophobes, right? Which but might have been true at the time. Could be, but I think also maybe they had the wisdom to understand <laughs> when's the right time to get on the stupid phone. Or maybe email just felt so impersonal that they couldn't imagine how anyone would use it as a communication medium. I, I mean, I will say that just, you know, as I mature as, as someone in the services business, I, I rely more and more on voice communication because I think it, if it's used correctly, it can be so much more powerful. One sure, thing that I've run into with going to phone, though, especially off of like a text-based system, whether it's an email or Basecamp or whatever, is that the second I say, well, why don't we have a phone call so that, you know, because there's a lot of information to communicate or because, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that we're missing something here in what we're trying to say to each other. Inevitably, it feels like, well, not inevitably, but about 70 to 80 percent of the time the client gets on and is like, what's wrong? Huh. Interesting. Yeah, and there's the opposite problem of, of clients kind of not being disciplined about respecting your time. I know that can happen, and that's why some people want to avoid getting on a phone call. I get that. Yeah, that's that's been more the case with me is that somebody wants to brain dump when you know you, you want to ask a question, then they go off on a tangent, and you're like, oh, man, you know, it's, it turns it, it turns. I like to use the phone when it's going to save time. That's yes. that's basically my thing. And with a lot of the tools we're mentioning, it's so easy. Like even in Gmail, for crying out loud, there's like a phone button. You can just you, inside of Facebook Messenger now. There's a phone button. So pretty much anything you can take. Pretty much any thread that's going and just pull a ripcord and ring the other person's device so it's pretty easy to switch back and forth between all of them but again, i think the big picture really is that you need all of these are good for different things and you need to be pretty facile at switching between them maybe it does take a special skill i never really thought about it like that but maybe the remote worker has a special skill that didn't exist you know the get off my lawn baby boomer group <laughs> Chuck, to circle back, you had the question earlier of how, like, assuming you do want to have that real-time voice communication with the client, how do you make the case for it to them? And um, this is not some kind of bulletproof advice, but I feel like if you sort of frame it as, there, you know, this is software development, there's always going to be issues that come up. Let's plan for a standing appointment every week to work through those issues or discuss them or, you know, keep you apprised of the nuances I feel like that might be one sort of line of, of reasoning to use with someone who's initially resistant to the idea of a, like a standing weekly meeting. Yeah, I just put it to them as there are going to be hiccups in communication and the easiest way to clear it up is to get on the phone. So let's just plan on being on the phone on a regular basis so that we, you know, make sure we're communicating. Yeah, sort of like an insurance policy against yeah. the misuse of, you know, asynchronous text. 
Right, and here's hoping that those cars calls aren't that long because we're actually doing well on the other medium, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, of course, having an agenda. Uh, m- maybe they need to see an agenda. Maybe they are in that sort of reactionary place of, oh, God, please do not steal another, you know, 90 <laughs> minutes of my day with your 45-minute meeting. So, uh, you know, having an agenda could help with that. One last thing I'll say about voice calls, or maybe not the last thing, but one more thing is that it's the most prone to frustration of all of them. Like when the phone call is going horribly, just from a connection standpoint, call keeps dropping. You know what I mean, Roman? Then people are (laughs) fading in and out or there's a lag and people are talking over each other. It is like keyboard smashing fury. So there's that. It's like a, it's a much more emotional channel and there's, I guess, you know, it's touching on something that humans have been doing since like, I don't know, BC, you know, so there are a million subtle cues and there's so much more rich data in the channel that if it's a bad connection or things aren't going perfectly, then it can be a real drag. Like I'm, I'm paying a thousand bucks a month to have an office so that I can sit somewhere quietly when I have to have phone calls because it doesn't cut it from a Starbucks or whatever is to like the coffee grinder comes on and it's like, what, what? <laughs> Yeah, I've occasionally talked to clients from a train station. What a mistake. They're like, oh, was that was that another train announcement? Is that your train? I'm like, yeah. okay, I just should not have done this. <laughs> yeah. So time zones. Don't you love time zones? Brutal. Yeah, I, I had a, a mentoring program participant who I kind of persuaded to try moving from like completely 100% asynchronous text communication to a standing call with a client who was... He's in the U.S., client's in Asia, so that's a pretty dramatic time zone thing. Like, somebody's got to get up early or stay up late to make that overlap happen. And he had a lot of good things to say about it. He discovered, I, I, I think I'm remembering correctly, discovered one or two sort of opportunities for ongoing work that had not surfaced until he got on the phone with the, with this client who was very happy with his work. And they'd been communicating successfully with asynchronous text, but the phone call just, like, added something extra. And I know that's... I'm definitely on the side of talk to your clients real time regularly if you can. So I, I guess I'm also on the side of, yeah, if you've got a, you know, one, one day a week, if you've got to not work till seven or eight, but just maybe return to your workspace from seven to eight or, or just go to a quiet place to have a phone call, it, it might be worth it. I think, it, I think it should be considered. There's plenty of other sort of awesome things about being freelance and working from home to offset that, that I think it's, it's worth it in the big picture. But I know that it's not always possible and it, it definitely complicates things. I've had this client in Chicago for years now. And so it's an eight hour time difference, except for like when one of us changes the clocks. And, you know, I sort of got used to it. And so sometimes I would have late meetings with them and sometimes early and we'd always sort of find a way that it would work. Also, their morning is my afternoon, early evening. So it's okay. And then they added two more developers and two marketing people. And we all wanted to be on a weekly stand-up meeting or just a weekly update meeting. And that was a killer trying to find when everyone could make it. And so what we ended up doing was their 10 p.m. and my 6 a.m. And everyone's unhappy. But basically, we keep trying to find a better time and no one can think of one. So other than that, though, yeah, a little flexibility is, is not a bad thing. And, you know, if I have to get up an extra hour early or go to sleep a little later to talk to people, not so bad. But that's also because most of my communication with them will be asynchronous. So I can get away with once a week, once every two weeks, talking in real time. And the rest of it being through email, 
I am whatever. So clearly a time zone, one major time zone thing is finding a time when everybody who needs to meet can meet. But are there other people had other time zone related issues that weren't to do with synchronous communication? Emergencies. I've sometimes had issues where there were emergencies and we were asleep, right? And like, I got up in the morning and see all these urgent email messages that came overnight. Oh my God. Oh my God. What's wrong with the server? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The better ones are, oh my god, oh my god, what's wrong with the server? And then, uh, you know, several minutes later, oh, everything's fine now. And I slept through the whole emergency and it corrected itself. That's the best. Yeah, sometimes an instant reply <laughs> makes things worse. <laughs> what what p- tools do people use to prevent things like people missing meetings because of time zone confusion and that sort of thing? I always send a calendar invite. And that way, when it shows up on their calendar and they accept, then I know that it's an okay time for them. And then if I've got several people in different time zones and I don't want to think about it, then I'll just use something like Calendly or something because it's pretty good about figuring out what time zone somebody's in and then letting them pick a time that does work for them. And then I just make the times available for that. There was another one, that I and I can't remember the name of it, but there are a bunch out there where you can actually just invite everybody to the same tool, and it's effectively a table with a bunch of times that... Or that you're available, and then each person kind of checks off the ones that they're available on, and that way it all gets coordinated. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, Doodle? Sounds like Doodle. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which I hate. Whoever thought a scrolling, infinitely rightward scrolling <laughs> oh, right. thing was a good <laughs> idea, but it, 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 it does work, and it's useful. Actually, I have a coaching student who is this, you know, one of these brilliant guys who just kind of gets heads down in whatever he's working on and, and the calendar invite, I think, pops up on his computer and he just doesn't even see it because he's so focused. And uh, like with him, I have started texting him, you know, like uh, 30 minutes or 60 minutes before we meet, which I know is kind of like from a power frame perspective, sort of makes me the secretary. And it's not ideal from that perspective. But, you know, from the larger perspective, I just I want our meeting to happen and I'm willing to, uh, you know, do some some grunt work to make that happen so i mean that's to me that's not out of bounds is to just say look if you guys can't remember the meeting i know that's not really my problem but also this meeting needs to happen so i'm going to remind you i often in order to avoid time zone issues because especially when people are changing clocks in different countries it can be a real pain to miss a meeting by an hour or show up <laughs> show up an hour early because oh you change your clocks and i didn't and so what i'll often do is put a meeting in the calendar under their time zone. So I'll say, so, so this way I just say to people, oh, we'll meet at 8 Eastern, we'll meet at 9 Central. And then I put in my calendar as 9 Central. And my calendar then sort of figures out wherever I happen to be in the world and whatever time it happens to be for me, it'll tell me when that's happening. Mm, yeah, there's a really good feature of Google Calendar that it might be what you're describing, but it's something that I use when I'm traveling. So, you know, next week I'm going to be speaking at a conference it's in Las Vegas, which is two or three hours earlier than where I live. But I, I live and die by my calendar. Like if stuff's not in my calendar, I miss it, period. So like my, let's say my talk's at 2.30 Central Time. Or what is, what are they, Mountain Time? Nevada uh, is Pacific Time. Pacific Time. Okay. So, so let's say it's at 2.30 Pacific Time. <laughs> <laughs> Pacific Time, I like it. <laughs> you can put it in your calendar and then in, under like the advanced settings of the appointment, you can change the time zone for it so that when I land there and my phone and everything updates to the local time zone, it's at the right time. Because what, what I used to do, yeah. yes, what I used to do is I'd be like, oh, I'm speaking at 2.30 in Las Vegas. So I'd put it in at 2.30 Eastern time and then I get there 
and it would bump up to like 7.30 p.m., and I would completely miss it. <laughs> or I would be in danger of missing it unless I paid like very, you know, time math, which is everyone's favorite. You know, so on, that, on that note of time math, uh, Fantastical is an app that will, it's got a little feature that will transpose your entire calendar into whatever time zone you want so that you can kind of see it. Like, you know, you're over in Providence, you can see it in specific time. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier to plan stuff. Anyway, I know I interrupted that's there, cool. but uh, that, that's a nice tool. That's good to know. Another thing I've gotten into the habit of doing is I use Calendly as well, but when I, when I, but that's really like a one on one. It's kind of hard for two other people to pick a time in my calendar with Calendly. But if I do have to send a time for something anywhere, I always include the time zone. Yeah. Even, even if I know the people are in my time zone, I'll say, and I, and I don't just say Tuesday. I'm very specific with it because it ends up, if you, if you aren't, it's, uh, open for debate, not debate, but it's potential for confusion. And a benefit is that in Gmail, at least, which is what I use, if you put a full like date time in there, it will let you click on it and add it to your calendar. So the person on the other end potentially could just click it, see if, what their uh, availability is in the sidebar, and then just accept it right there and like send me an invite. Uh, but so that's, I, a, that's a good thing to, to always put the times on so people know what you're talking about. Absolutely. I, I'm always saying like in your, you know, uh, uh, you know, your 12, uh, you know, well, let's say your one o'clock or your three o'clock. And, and by the way, I always, I never say next, like next Tuesday, next week, always yep. use a specific date. And I never say 12 a.m. or 12 p.m., always 12 noon or 12 midnight. Yep. Me too. Totally. You can tell I right. get to deal with a lot of time zones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do all that stuff. <laughs> All right. So the, once you get burned by that, and then you're you're scarred for life. So uh, finally, his last question is basically, what if you're selling software or some kind of strategy consulting or something like that? Do you do that completely remotely, and do people react poorly to doing it entirely remotely, or are they going to want to meet in person? Got a funny story there. Virtually all of the work I do, my mobile business is strategy. And almost none of my clients are within a reasonable driving distance. And I had uh, one client recently who wanted to do a, you know, we went through the whole proposal thing. It was clear that I was not going, there was going to be no on-sites. You know, they were a plane ride away and I wasn't interested in doing that. And I certainly didn't price the gig that way. So, you know, came time to do the kickoff. And they're like, you know, I think it'd be better if we met in person for like a two-day kickoff. which I thought was way more than we needed and was definitely out of bounds in terms of what I had priced, like I said. So I said, yeah, I, I can't make that happen, but if you guys want to fly to me, I can make that happen. <laughs> to put in their mind, like, okay, that would cost us a, at least $15,000 to fly the team up to Providence. So, and then I was like, well, if you really want, if you really want me to come down there, I can give you a price for that. And I was like trying to anchor high with their costs for flying to me. So, because I was going to, I mean, it was going to cost more than the whole gig. I was going to have to cancel a bunch of stuff and fly down there. And uh, it would have been terrible. And it was totally unnecessary. But it is true that a lot of, especially, it's almost like the bigger check they're writing, the more they want some kind of FaceTime, at least at the beginning. And frankly, sometimes I am open to flying someplace before I even have 
the job because I want to see the facility before I price it. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So if it turns out, I mean, it could be like I've been, I'm talk, in talks with one company right now, and it's really hard to get a sense of uh, how big they are, how big a project this is for them. It seems really big, but I don't want to like way overprice it, give them sticker shock because it would be it'd be a pretty cool gig, but I definitely don't want to underprice it. So, you know, I'm like, you know, it would probably only cost me a grand to fly there. You know, the plane ticket, overnight in a hotel, you know, food and all that. It'd be it'd be less than a thousand bucks. And this project could easily be way more, you know, 50 times that. So, you know, it's worth jumping on a plane. And so, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is sometimes it's in your best interest to set up some FaceTime rather than uh, them kind of forcing you to do it. But you know, those are just anecdotes. The bottom line is I barely ever have to see anybody in person and pretty much all I do is strategy. So you really don't need to do it. It's just, I find that I can increase my fees somewhat by doing it if I feel like it, but you definitely do not need to actually be flying around all over the place to, or even driving around to be meeting with people in person. I think another thing that's a part of this is that if you can't get them to trust you to work remotely, then you probably aren't going to be able to get them to... Well, I, I guess you could, but you're not going to be able to get, in most cases anyway, in my opinion. And now I'm rambling. I, I don't think you're going to be able to trust them to drop the extra, you know, $1,000, $2,000 for you to fly out and spend a day with them. And, you know, if they don't trust you anyway. So really what it comes down to is what outcome do you want? How are we structuring this? Do you trust me to get it done? Are you going to get a good value out of it? And I think if they see all of those things add up, then it won't matter whether or not you're remote. And honestly, face-to-face uh, -face over the computer is not the same as being in person. But at the same time, for a lot of people, it's good enough. I, I had a client who I worked with for, it must have been three or four years, all online, all on the phone. We spoke on the phone all the time. And I was in the U.S. at that time. And he said, tell you what, why don't I fly you out here? And then we can get to know each other in person and strategize over the next few years of how the business is going. And that was a real turning point, a positive one in our relationship. Even though we've been talking on the phone probably every day for years, it really cemented our relationship and um, gave us a chance to deepen it in many, many ways. So even if it's just a one-time meeting, it doesn't have to be at the beginning even. It, it, it can definitely be worthwhile. Yeah, I just met for the first time in person a retainer client that I've been working with for like three years, like nonstop, continuously. and. It was a, you know, exactly what you just said, Ruben. It, we're close. We're already close, but it's like that online close. And when you actually go have dinner with somebody, there's just no, I mean, it, it takes the relationship to a level that is, that it definitely did not get, you know, in Slack. Is it necessary? No, but it's um, really nice. If it makes sense to do, it's really nice. I agree with what both of you are saying. I'm just saying I don't know that anyone is more likely or I don't know if a lot of people are more likely to hire you based on whether or not you're going to fly out and meet them. I think that it does something to position you as a little higher value freelancer, consultant, whatever, when it's obvious to a client that you could, A, afford to fly to them <laughs> without them having to pick up the bill, right? And B, that you have enough control over your own schedule to arrange that. Both of those are going to be signals that this person is not scraping work from Upwork. They're actually, you know, succeeding in what they're doing. Uh, so in a sense, I, I, I guess I have to 
kind of make an exception to even my own preference for doing everything remotely, which is uh, it, it sends a it sends a real message when you can travel, and, and it's and it's not a big deal for you to travel, and you're not like, oh, um, <clears throat> so who's going to pay for this trip? <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. It's a total power move, you know. And if you believe that there's a real gig there, that it's worth it, it's a little bit of a gamble. And it's definitely no fun. Like, if I can't stand traveling, I'm so sick of traveling. I'm fond of saying I, I will not get on a plane for less than $5,000. But I would, and I did just suggest to a company that I just mentioned that, you know, maybe I would fly down there because this seems like a sweet gig. I think you get these guys are not tire kickers. And I'm going to be in competition with people who are players. And just casually saying, yeah, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just fly down there. And I, I agree. I think Philip's 100% right. But it's definitely a, it's a um, sort of your your ace card in this situation. It sounds like yeah, but I, but I feel like it's something that I worked up to. This isn't something that I did starting out. Like I want I don't want people to feel like you need to do this or that it's some kind of strategy. It's, yeah, it just naturally it, it just naturally presents itself when you're in a situation that you could benefit from. You know what I mean? It's like. It's like, oh, it's yeah. like a tactical approach that I can apply in this case. I could just as easily be like, yeah, never mind, and not even worry about it. But it just has this whiff of like a good, there's something about it that seems like it's going to be a really good project. By the way, I mean, I, I mean, when it's been uh, local clients here in Israel, so I was often willing to go and just meet them wherever for an initial consultation, right? So I would go, and, and I mean, it's a small country and all, and most of these things were, say, half an hour, an hour away. But it's a half an hour there, or an hour there, and an hour back, and it ends up taking you know half three quarters of the day just to have this initial meeting. And at some point, my wife said to me, "You are the consultant. They want to meet with you. Why don't you have them come meet with you at your house?" I was like, "Okay, I'll try that." And sure enough, people keep doing this. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not like I have. I mean, most of my work is still training and everything. But in the last month, I think I've had three different potential clients come to my house and meet with me here. All I had to do was say, why don't you come to me? Um, and they didn't flinch at all. From their perspective, this was totally okay. I purposely chose to never have local clients because I live in a pretty small city and I don't want to be running into them all the time. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, for, for people who are listening, for like, geez, like 99% of my work over the last, geez, since 2003 has been remote, like completely remote. I've had tons of clients I've never met. So totally doable. And now it's easier than it ever has been because there's, there's just like tools everywhere. And it's acceptable. Like I, I was in the newspaper when I came to Israel in 95 and I was working remotely with a company in the U.S. And no one's going to write a newspaper story about a telecommuter anymore. <laughs> it's not even called that anymore, is it? I don't know what they... Telecommuter. Or like, yo, <laughs> remote work. Yes, yes, here I'm dating myself once again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Put that in your positioning statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I would say probably the, the hardest thing is just sort of getting used to it if you're not used to it, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, if you've been working in an office for a while and you're now going to work remotely from home with people all over, well, now you've got to get used to not having office banter, not like going and seeing them in person, marketing online and everything. So it's a whole lot of different skills and experiences, but it doesn't mean it's impossible at all. On the contrary, it's quite possible. And I know that in some, probably very few situations, depending on the culture of the client, you may be unable to influence them at a distance. And if, if that's important, then, you know, that, that may change some things. Because I, I know that 
that was kind of a thread of discussion when <laughs> telecommuting was was a new thing was like you know people who would work remotely would get passed over for promotions and and that kind of thing so i think some of this advice is certainly less applicable to like remote contract workers or just remote ftes all right well let's go ahead and get to picks jonathan do you want to start us off with picks sure uh, we talked about a ton of tools today, so I'll stay away from tools this time. And uh, I've got two picks. One is uh, a book by Michael Lewis called The Big Short, which uh-huh. is about the uh, the banking crash in 2008. And it is fascinating and horrifying and amazing that he was able to spin an interesting story out of a really, really confusing just rat's nest of yuck. Just numbers and uh, it's wild. Um, so I listened to the audiobook. I'm a big fan of that. The narrator was really good. So definitely recommend checking out The Big Short. It's almost like a thriller, but it's a true story. Uh, and then I'm going to pick sort of self-promotional pick here. This morning, as we're recording this, I launched a book called Hourly Billing is Nuts. And I wanted to give the freelancer show audience a code for that, which... Um, code should i use i can use any code i want like uh fs215 is that crazy we'll go with that fs215 so if you want to get 30 percent off my new book you can go to hourlybillingisnuts.com and use fs215 to get 30 percent off how do you feel about hourly billing jonathan <laughs> <laughs> it's a cancer on professional services and it is my mission in life to rid the earth of hourly billing <laughs> i see you really change your tune since i met you <laughs> Can I be more clear? <laughs> All right, Philip, what are your everyone? picks? Jonathan, did you know they made that book into a movie? And the movie is also quite good. Yes, Hourly Billing is Nuts, the movie. How does that theme song go? Somebody's already bought the rights, huh? Quick tool recommendation. I mentioned it during the show. Fantastical is a nice calendar app that I standardized on. It's, I mean, people get kind of religious about calendar apps. The thing I like about Fantastical is the natural language processing for adding new uh, events. You just kind of type in using plain English what is going to happen, and it does a pretty good job of interpreting that and setting up all the parameters of a calendar event based on that. And the other thing it does that I mentioned is it, it lets you, at the click of a mouse, transpose your entire calendar into any other time zone which is awesome for people who work with clients who are all over the country or planet because, um, you know, if I'm curious what time my mentoring group meets in Germany, I can just, you know, transpose it into that time zone. That's nice, and uh, it's been pretty reliable, uh, and it's worth every penny of whatever they charge for it. Uh, my second pick is if you are, like I am, a fan of raunchy adolescent humor, this movie, The Brothers Grimsby, is uh, is a must-watch. It's <laughs> I've watched it a couple of days ago, and I'm still laughing about some of the absolutely disgusting, gross-out humor scenes. It's a uh, Sasha Baron Cohen production, which, if, if you know what he gravitates towards in terms of his uh, films, you, you know everything you need to know. And it did not <laughs> score that well in uh, critic reviews, but it was super hilarious. And if you need to laugh more like I do, uh, maybe consider adding it to your list. That's it. All right, Reuven, what are your picks? Okay, so my first pick is something I picked, I think, a long, long time ago on the show. So I do a lot of traveling. I prefer to eat in vegetarian restaurants when possible. And so Happy Cow, happycow.net, the website, and the app 
for your phone. Truly fantastic. Been in numerous cities. I say to Happy Cow, show me all the vegetarian restaurants and how far away they are, and it will do that. And then it will guide you to it with Google Maps or whatever. Definitely a fun little app, useful site, and uh, it, it does something simple and it does it well. The other thing is, and I, I perhaps am the, the last person to plan to discover it, but it turns out that The Office is a great show, especially <laughs> if, especially if you don't work in one. And I have just, and I, I think like I am enjoying it for a different reason than most others, right? Most people watch the show and say, oh my God, right? This is exactly what my office is like. Thank goodness someone put this into a comedy. And I'm thinking, thank goodness I don't work in an office anymore and I can avoid this sort of nonsense. But anyway, I'm uh, slowly but surely, or perhaps not so slowly but surely, going through the seasons and I'm definitely, definitely enjoying it and uh, relishing the fact that I don't have to deal with a boss or other such things. Are you watching the U.S. version or the U.K. version? The U.S. version. Is the U.K. version better? I haven't watched the U.K. version, but the U.S. version I watched and I laughed my way through it. And my wife watched a couple episodes with me. She's like, I don't get it. And I looked at her and I said, I think it's funny because I've worked with all of these people. <laughs> right. They're, they're I've had both. that boss. I've worked with all these characters. They're both fantastic. Both the U.S. and U.K. versions. Awesome. And, and I guess I'll also add to uh, what Philip said, uh, which is not only is The Big Short a great book, but the movie was terrific. And the fact that they were able to turn, like, I mean, you think the book is interesting, and Michael Lewis is a gifted writer with, with fantastic stories, but you would think that it was already an amazing achievement to turn such a dry sort of subject into a great, interesting book, and they managed to turn a dry subject into a really great movie. So, bully for them. All right, I've got a couple of picks. So last week I was at Podcast Movement, and while I was traveling, I was having some issues with the low bandwidth stuff on my laptop and it turned out that uh i also just really wanted one so i bought an ipad pro and i bought it with the smart keyboard and the apple pencil because why not right and it turns out that when you're flying if you're using the web app with really low bandwidth or really bad connection when you try and send an email or reply to somebody it actually has to call back to the server in order to load up with the right information in the text box where you type. And if you're using an app like the Gmail app on an iPad Pro, then it just works. And then you just get, you know, you can just watch it spin for a minute while it sends the email. And so I was super happy with that. It also got me touching the screen of my laptop while I was using it. Why isn't this working? Oh, I can't touch the screen on this thing. So uh, I really, really liked it. The other thing I liked was with the Apple Pencil, during some of the sessions, I could actually take notes by hand, which for me is still a little bit faster and higher fidelity than typing, just because I could draw the pictures and draw diagrams and arrows and all that stuff. And I really liked it. The thing is, is I used an app, I think it was called GoodNote or GoodNotes. It'll actually index your handwriting so you can do full text search on your handwritten notes in it. So... That was also really nice because then I can just kind of dig through it and go, okay, I'm looking for these kinds of actions that I can take. I'm looking for these kinds of ideas and I can just get a lot out of them. So uh, I'm going to pick all that and uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>